0: please open up your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 6 the book of Romans chapter 6 we have seen two sections already uh, completed in the book of Romans if you remember the first section was all about condemnation we saw that from chapters 1 all the way to chapter 3 verse 20 then we finished last week the second section, which is dealing with justification. Paul was highlighting about justification. That's chapters uh, chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 5, verse 21. And we saw that justification or being made righteous, uh, we, are, we saw that justification can only come by that uh, being justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And it's not by the law or any works that man can come up with, or you can brilliantly come up with, thinking that's going to make you right with God, or justify you, it's only by faith alone in Jesus Christ, and his finished work on the cross, and so we learn that through that second section, but today we're going to see section three, and we'll pick up here in in chapter six, and it goes basically through the next three chapters, and that is on the subject um, of, uh, of, of sanctification. Because in the ch- chapters one through five, we, we understand and how Paul presented to us that we t- and lets us and kind of highlights to us that we were dead in sin. And that we also knew that through those, ch- those sections of those first five chapters, not only were we born dead in sin, but that through justification, through that, that trust in Jesus Christ's fu- finished work on the cross, that we will be free from the penalty of sin. But in section 3 today, that we are not only to be, uh, uh, that we were born as sinners, that we can be be freed from that sin, being justified, being made righteous. But today, and through the next several teachings, and through Romans 6-8, through eight, we're going to see that we're dead to sin, and that we'll be free from the power of sin. And so today was a very powerful and very pertinent thing that Paul gets across to us that yes you're free yes you've been forgiven yes the sins have been forgotten but then how and why do we continue to struggle in the sins or the in our flesh or the things that go on in a day-to-day basis well Paul answers that because he's anticipating what you and I as readers after reading the first five chapters what is next what is the next question And that the fact that we are dead to sin, but we're also are free from the power of sin. And today we'll see the topic is our identification with Jesus Christ as Paul deals with sanctification. Now, sanctification means to be to be set apart or be made holy. And the question always is, well, why would God set us apart? For what purpose? What is he making us holy for? For what purpose? And that is to be used by the Lord and to become more like the Lord. And that's what the sanctification process took place in our lives. And because we are justified positionally, we are made right positionally with God. But sanctification is working that out practically in our lives. There's two things that we have to understand with sanctification. First, you can't earn sanctification. Hebrews 10.10, by that we, will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So it's through the body of Jesus Christ. That is how we're sanctified. Hebrews 10.29 says, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. So we are sanctified through the body and blood of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in no other way. That is how we're sanctified. That's how we are set apart or being made holy in the eyes of God. So what is the outcome of all this? Well, we can't earn sanctification. And we also cannot, sanctification is not a process. It's not something that is, Oh, we're going to somehow work it out over time. It is a finished work that Jesus Christ has done. It's his work, it's what he has done in you and I as we put our trust, our faith in Jesus Christ alone, in faith alone. And it's the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that gives us the outcome of our life, which is a changed life, a new identity. Yes, we had an old identity. The old man, the old woman. I never should say never old woman. That's why I think the scripture says just keep it, say old man. And it applies to all of us. That 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 old man, that old person, that, that old you had identification. People saw your life from your past and had an identification with you based on your behavior, your attitudes and what you did or what you didn't do and people immediately, you ever go back home after leaving and in the military, this happens all the time, you go, leave the military you, you have this life and you're growing and it's been a while and you go back to home and all of a sudden people especially mom and dad have a tendency to see you in light of what your identification was when they first knew you your friends, the ones you partied with, the ones you just lived loosely in life They go back home and they look at you like, why aren't you going to do the same things we always did? We've always did this when you came home. Because that was your identity. That's how they see you. That's how they saw you. They don't see the transformation life, potentially, unless you spend time with them. Unless you hold firm in your new identity in Jesus Christ, that new identity will then cause separation many times with non-believers in your family. your friends there's automatically going to be a separation there's not going to be that connection like they used to yes even with those who are blood relatives your mom and dad your sisters and brothers there will be division among those that you you love so dearly because your identifications in jesus christ now you're a different person you're a new person the old person as we will see today is dead or it needs to be dead. So the outcome of sanctification is this changed life. This life of transformation of your life internally. And in that we call Christian growth or spiritual maturity. But Paul has clearly communicated in this epistle. Especially this first five chapters. That salvation is apart from works. It is a work of God in your life. But then there are people who say, I'm not sure I like this. I don't like what Paul is writing here. I'm not liking what I'm hearing. If you you focus on this grace that it's a work of God and that you don't, you can't earn it, you can't do anything with it, then people are going to take advantage of this subject of grace of God and their people are going to want to live their life however they want to live it. They're going to want to live however they want to feel. I feel like this today, I'm going to live it like that. I think this way, I'm going to live that way. Well, that doesn't line up with the scripture. Oh, it doesn't matter. The grace of God, brother. You know, the grace of God. You know, we, didn't, we, didn't we learn that in the first five chapters? And religious type, law-driven type will immediately say, it's not about the grace. It's, you know, people need to have the do's and don'ts, or they're going to go astray. They need the law. They need to know the law really well. And they need to have it memorized because they need to know what to, what they need to stay in boundaries with. And if they don't have the do's and don'ts, and if we don't make sure and lay it out, the law of God, then they're going to continue to live in sin however they want to live. Well, Paul anticipates this. So in chapter 6, we're going to see that he clearly presents the argument To those who insist that grace leads to loose living. So here in Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Let's pick back up. We'll pick up right here where we left off last week. And it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So he brings us. He brings a reference here in this verse. Back to chapter 5 verse 20. Where he says that where sin abounded. Grace abounded much more. Oh, that means if I sin a lot, that means grace will reveal and abound much more. Isn't that great? So that just means I can freely live. No, 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 no. He says right here in verse 2, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? If you've repented, you've you've died to that sin. You don't want the old life. You don't want anything to do with the old sinful life. You've died to it. You've completely, it's dead. I'm not even going to think about it anymore. How can I die to my sin and then turn around and say, oh, I can just live in it. Live in it freely because the grace of God will just abound over it. He'll tolerate it. He hasn't done anything to me yet. I've been doing it for a while. He hasn't done anything to me yet over it. No, see, that's wrong thinking. And Paul wanted to make sure everyone knew that you cannot use what God is, God's grace for your justification or Safety net to say that you can continue to live in sin as you would like. So Paul says, certainly not. You can't do this. This this present tense here in verse one that says continued in sin is really Paul's is emphasizing that those who okay I I, I want the things of God. I want to be saved. I want to be changed, but. There's certain practices of sin, there's certain things in my life I'm not willing to get rid of. And So Paul emphasizes here this this present active tense or verb tense here, continue in sin, to make the point that says those who think you can can practice continuing or practice in habitual sin and think you have been changed or transformed or sanctified, don't fool yourselves. Don't fool yourselves. And don't be rationalizing, oh, grace abounds, brother. No, 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 no. Don't, don't justify yourself here. Because if you have been sanctified, if you've been justified by faith alone, you're going to be sanctified. That means there's a transformation going to take place, and you want nothing to do with habitual sin. You don't want to do it. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin. Doesn't mean there's going to be challenges coming your way, but you will no longer want to practice and participate and not and, and enjoy it. You can't enjoy sin once you've given your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within you. You grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't. You think if you're grieving and you're messing with someone who lives within you, you're going to feel the pressure and the sense of, of uh, something wrong. Of course. Paul established a very very important principle here. When we are born again, when we have believed on Jesus Christ for our salvation, our relationship with sin is permanently changed. We have died to sin. How much more permanent? Died to sin. No touching. Therefore, if we have died to sin, then we should not live any longer in it. simply not fitting for you and I to con- continue to live in dead things that is not what God has for you if you feel that you sense that your life is just dead it's empty it's dry take account of what's going on in your life because you cannot there's life. there's newness with Christ There's deadness in habitual sin. Deadness in sin. You don't want to touch it. Christians have to die to sin. They they should no longer live in it. Because before we were dead in sin. Ephesians 2.1 Now we must be dead to sin. Yes, you used to live in sin. Now you are to die to sin. There's a change that must take place. And God gives you the power to be free from that sin, and we will see in verse 14. In 1 John 3, 9, he says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. And he's referring to this habitual sin. You're not going to do that anymore. For your seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. 1 John 5, 18, we know that that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. No touching. We no longer live for sin. We no longer live for it. We don't wake up and plan our weekend. Ooh, the weekend. Wait till we have a great time this weekend. Get the buddies, man. No, no, we don't live like that anymore. We don't live for a lifestyle. Oh, I want to live a certain lifestyle that is clearly says in the scriptures, no, you should not be living that lifestyle anymore. But if you choose to continue in that, habitually continue in that sin, do not be fooled to think that there's a changed life. A change has not taken place, a transformation has not taken place in that person's life. But grace abounds. Doesn't God accept everybody? Yes, he died for all. He died for that sin. So that you could be free from the power of that sin. You have been able to die to that sin. You can't trust and rely upon the fact that you can continue to live in sin habitually when God clearly says in the word not to touch it, but to die to it. So what are some of the indicators, then, of our identification with Jesus Christ? Well, the first one we see that Paul highlights in verse 3 here is water baptism. He says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? See, Paul here says, know this to his readers, to you and I. Know this. Just, Just know this. When you were baptized, you received a new identification. You dead to the, your old life. You became publicly linked to Jesus Christ through baptism. Now I know that there's many questions running in everyone's mind. So let's take one of them out each, each of the times here. First of all, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it clearly commands that we are to be baptized. We see it very clearly where people, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the next question pops in our heads. Well, then does, does one have to be baptized to be saved? No. No, you do not have to be baptized to be saved. We know that clearly from the thief on the cross who believed in Jesus Christ in Luke 23, 42. And they believed in Jesus Christ when they're both hanging on that cross. And Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. No one went up there and sprinkled him or tried to bring him down and dunk him or anything before he got dead. So then the next question, unless you are baptized does it matter where you're baptized or the methodology how you're baptized i was always taught and learned that i am to be sprinkled right from the when i was a baby others say well yeah we know you were sprinkled we know you may have been fully dunked we know you might have done it only in this uh, uh, holy water in a certain setting and it must be under a certain denomination blah 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 I understand that. But what does the scripture say? Scripture doesn't say anything about any methodology other than what this baptism means, and that is immersion. But does the immersion versus if you are sprinkled save you? No, go back to what we've already t- talked about. Baptism doesn't save you. So it doesn't matter the, m- the specific manner you were you were baptized it doesn't fact that you, you though teachings that go on out there that says oh you come from a different denomination you come from a different church um, uh, you know we're going to take you through new believer class and and then once we've really kind of tested you and kind of see where you're at and make sure you're a believer and then and once you're baptized by me then Europe can be a member of the church. That is not scriptural. Now, if they do that, that's fine. That's whatever they do, that's between them and the Lord. But here at Calvary Chapel, that is that's not how it works. Anyone can be saved without baptism. For salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, and it's based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross alone. It is a matter of the heart. It's the inward transformation that the Lord has done in your life. The outward method is not what determines your salvation. The role of baptism simply serves as an outward symbol or indicator of an inward commitment you have made to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your master. And you want others, the witnesses around you to know what God is doing in your life. You're not ashamed. To let people know that you're a Christian. That you have surrendered your life completely to Jesus Christ. It is a picture of death. It's a dying of the old man. Being buried in that water. Dying of self. And choosing to live for Christ. That is what that outward indicator symbol of water baptism does. Now, I'll give you an example. When Kathleen and I got married, and we stood up at that altar, remember that day, guys? And you exchanged rings, and you put those rings on. Did the ring save you? Or in this case, did the rings declare, and that ring married you? No, the ring didn't marry you. Now, when you put the ring on, oh, I feel the marriage coming on here. No, the ring didn't do a thing. It was an outward symbol or indicator for those witnessing your life, even if they knew you or didn't know you, that you're what? Married. It didn't make you married. It's just an outward symbol of saying to others around you as a witness that you're married. You're committed. Your life is committed to death to your part with that person. They may not even know the person. But what happens if Kathleen said, you know, I really like the gesture, Corey, having a ring, but I don't need the ring. I know your heart. I know you love me. I know you're completely committed to me, to death do us part. I don't need a ring. What do you think that would cause me to think? What would cause other people around us to think? spouse doesn't want to wear a ring to show that they're married to one another? Interesting. See, that's why baptism is just an outward sign of indication of the inward change to someone's life. It doesn't make them saved. It just shows outwardly that they, God has saved them. So baptism also brings light to those watching your life because so many times people have, have a tendency to give their life to Christ but then oh, is someone going to find out that I actually love Jesus and I actually want to follow him for the rest of my life? And I don't tell anyone at work. Don't tell anyone in the neighborhood. Don't tell anyone in our family what I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. No, see, we should be singing it. We should be a light into this community. We should be very clearly to everyone your relationship with Jesus and that you have a new identity in Jesus, with Jesus Christ. You no longer have an identity with the bottle or the drug or an organization or childhood antics. Your identification is with Jesus Christ. It's a new beginning for you. And you're not ashamed to let people know that. That's why St. Paul in th- verse 4 says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptizing baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father even so we also walk in newness of life behind this ancient Greek word baptism means to immerse or overwhelm something that's why we get the full immersion not the sprinkling we see that pattern that God gives us in other things as well. The same baptism word of immersion, complete covering. We see that in Matthew 3.11, Acts 1.5, where they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. They are immersed. They're covered over with the Holy Spirit. We see Mark 10.39, where they are baptized with suffering. There's an immersion or a covering with suffering that takes place. And so here Paul uses that same word of immersion or covering. There's a complete covering in Jesus, Jesus Christ. Through the act of that water baptism. The believer's water baptism or being baptized into Christ. Is this dramatization. This, this, this acting out of a believer's. By immersion, there is an identity. They're showing there's a complete surrender. There's a deadness of the old self is being buried. And then when you come out of that water, there's a new identification with Jesus Christ. We also see Jesus Christ himself be baptized. He didn't walk into the water and then they just started splashing him. There was a full immersion. Paul also builds on the idea of going not only under the water as a picture of being buried, but coming up from the water as a picture of rising from the dead. And Paul points clearly here in that scripture, right here something this dramatic, this life-changing happens in the life of a believer. You can't die and rise again without a changed believer has a real, even though it's spiritual, a real death and resurrection with Jesus Christ. There should be no question in your mind. When you're committed to go and to be baptized in front of witnesses, what the Lord has done in your life, there's a, you know, without a doubt, you've been changed by God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. They become new. Romans 6.5 here says, For if we have been uh, uh, united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. There's a close reunion here, this close union between his death and his resurrection and God has that experience for both of both, both of those for you and I. I mean Paul even expressed that in his own life in, in uh, Philippians chapter 3 verses 10 11 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. See, some are so quick and so ready to grab a hold of that resurrected life in Jesus Christ. Oh, I want to, the promise and the future and, the, and going to heaven and oh, it's going to be great. And I've got this new life. And, but you want me to die to my old self? I'm not ready to die to my old, my plans that I've had from birth. I've had plans, you understand, for 10 years now and 20 years. and I, I have to die to that? I like some of my old identifications. But I have to die to that? Can I have both the old life and the new life? carnality is not good. Having a carnal life, living in the past, living the way you want to live in sin and also wanting to things of God, that is not a good place to be, the scripture says. Be hot, be cold, lukewarm, be watch out. But some are opposite. Some Christians love to focus solely on the crucified life. They don't. They fail to even celebrate the new life, the changed life. They dwell on their past over and over and over. Hi, I'm Corey, and I'm a fill in the blank. Hi, I'm such as such, and I, I I this is who I I was. No, no, move on. Press forward. Live in the new life of resurrected life. Understand that was the past and celebrate by the grace of God. He has transformed you. He's made you new. Celebrate the new resurrected life. Don't focus on the past and the past failures. Because God certainly doesn't. But baptism is the action of being immersed in the water, symbolizing the dying and being buried with Christ. And the action of coming out of the water pictures Christ's resurrection. So what are the requirements to be baptized? There's two requirements. First is the person being baptized must have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. It's the first question I ask you if I'm going to baptize you. The second thing is, is the person must understand what baptism signifies. If a person knows that Jesus as Savior and understands that baptism is a step of obedience and publicly proclaiming their faith in Christ and Christ alone, and desires to follow the example of Jesus himself being baptized, let your brothers and sisters around you celebrate the work that God is doing in your life and Christian baptism does not add anything to your salvation it is a beautiful response to an already beautiful thing that God has done in your life so here's the second identification or indicator of of our identification with jesus christ and that is in verse six we see crucifixion is the second indicator paul goes on to say knowing this that your old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we no longer be slaves of sin see when jesus died on the cross Over 2,000 years ago, something incredibly happened for you and I. Do you know what that is? Our old sin nature was crucified with Jesus Christ on the cross. He died for your and my old nature. And I am so thankful. I am so grateful. That every day I'm reminded and so grateful, so thankful for the work that He did to die for my old nature. That old self-centeredness. That even though I fail to fully, completely understand why he would do that for me, and how that could have happened that I will not have to pay for my penalties of my sin because of the faith in him. Because of his finished work. I don't fully understand that at times. but Even though I don't fully understand it, it's still true that he has died for my old nature. The full penalty. And that it doesn't prevent my lack of understanding, does not prevent me from rejoicing in his great love for me. Verse 7, for Paul says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. The death of the old man is an established fact. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of how much of a struggle you're having in your life, the fact is that Jesus freed us from the sin. It happened spiritually when we identified ourselves with Jesus' death For our salvation, it's the work of the cross that is complete. We saw in Romans five twelve the old man is our identification with Adam. Now our identification now is with Jesus Christ. You've changed identity, you've changed who you will follow, and oh how the the old nature. Identif- identification with Adam, how that part of us, that deeply ingrained, rebellious desire that is in our life is unbelievable at times. That deep, ingrained desire to rebel against God and his commandments, how how deep it can be where we just are disobedient to authority. Just, ah. Oh. And we sit there and go, God, I know you've transformed. I know you forgive me. I know you've done a working me. I know you're still doing it. But why do I still just want to rebel against your truth? The system of law didn't help a man. The system of law is unable to deal with the old man because it can only tell the old man what the righteous standard of God is. That's all it does. The law tries to transform or reform the old man. Well, let's just give you a law, follow the law, and you'll just somehow turn over a new leaf. Oh, how how well has that worked in the jail system? law doesn't change the heart of a man. The system of grace understands that the old man can never be reformed. He must put to death. That old nature, he must put it to death, he must reckon it death, he must look at it and say, that's dead, it's no longer me. For the believer, the old man dies with Jesus on the cross and that's where it stays. The crucifixion of the old man is something that God did in us. None of us nailed the old man to the cross. There are people out there who thought they could, and it's very, very sad, that some people think, oh, this flesh is just has so much control, and they start cutting themselves and they start hurting themselves, trying to get out of their own skin. But only if that person knew that it was Jesus that would come in, and they he would do that work and they would bring, he, he paid and he took that old nature and nailed it to the cross himself you and I can't nail our flesh to the cross. We just have to recognize what Jesus has already done. He did it. We are told to account it as being done. See, in the place of the old man, something has to fill the void. The old man, once it's dead and gone, has, your life has to fill it with something. And Jesus is letting you and I, through the scriptures here, say, I have filled it with a new man, a new identity in your life, a new self that is inst- instinctively obedient and pleasing to God. And it's this new person, this new Identity in which was raised with Christ in his resurrection. And the New Testament very clearly describes this new man to you and I. We see in Ephesians 4.24, it says the new man, which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. That is who you are now. Colossians 3:10, a new man is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You now see yourself as being a created being by God. Not just some muck that somehow you transformed in your body over years and billions and billions of years. All the junk that the enemy tries to fill. God uses our death to the old man and the the, the sinful nature to liberate liberate us from our sin. Because a dead man can no longer have authority over us. And so we're reminded and and we look into our lives and we know that the old man is gone and a new life is there. So the question always comes, Pastor, if, if if the if the old man is dead in me, why do I feel such a pull to sin inside me? Why do I have these tendencies, daily, constantly looking to sin? Well, there's three three things that pull us to sin. First, it comes comes from the flesh. Which is very distinct from the old man. Some call our flesh the screen to our sinful nature. All you have to do is look at how their flesh is playing it out in real time. And it gives you a screen, a picture of their sinful nature. So what happens is that flesh rares it up because that inner being has desires and impulses and passions that wants to play out in our mind, in our will, in our emotions. So the fl- the flesh is what acts out that inner man, and so the flesh is just in r- is rampant at times if the emotions are not under self-control, if our will is not in line with God's will, if our mind is not brought under under control, and our mind is allowed to go to the past and go wherever it wants to, the flesh will display it in full color. Oh, so many times we think it's no one can see it, but it's like a beacon of light. It's like a Just a flashing light to people around you. And if it's not the flesh that brings and pulls you to sin, it's going to be the second is the world system. And it's the spirit of rebellion against God. The world system is constantly looking to rebel against God and anything to do with God. So that's going to cause you to be lured to sin because of the, the focus or the attention or the the tight grip you have on this world system at times. And finally, the devil himself seeks to tempt and influence the flesh towards sin. So you have your flesh yourself. You have the world system. You have the devil himself trying to lure you to sin and be back into the, trying to pick back up the old the old man back up. But you have to look at, when your flesh rares up in that morning or during the day or you have the world system taunting you and trying to pull on you or the de- you know, a demon or Satan himself coming in after you, you must immediately say, I am dead to that sin. I don't even recognize it. I don't want anything to do with it. And when you declare that, you make a stance that, Jesus, you died for that. It's dead. I don't touch dead things. Then the flesh will calm down. The devil will flee. The world system will not have a pull on you. God calls us in participation with him to actively day by day as we live in this flesh while we're on this earth just to recognize that he crucified it and made it dead to sin, Galatians 5.24. But when we allow when we open the door just slightly and we open it to a, this, this little bit of influence through old habits or the world itself, the, te- the temptations of the things that the world offers or allow things in your mind that are just from the devil causing separation and, de- and disunity and things like that, you must recognize that and you must turn to God because he's given you a new man, a new person, and you must allow him to influence your mind, your will, and the emotions to battle that for you. To battle it and put the flesh, the world, and the devil aside. Our slavery to sin can only be broken by death. And we are set free from sin. We' are set free from the power of sin because the old man died and J- with Jesus on the cross. Now the question is is now the new man, a free man, how do we live? How, how is that to play out? Well, the way that happens, the way you have power over those three things is by feeding the Spirit. How do you feed the Spirit? By reading the word of God. By talking to God. Not talking to yourself. By Christian fellowship. Getting around those who love the Lord as well. And being reminded daily that you have been saved. By faith alone in Christ alone. That your old nature is dead. As much as it keeps knocking at the door. You don't mean you have to open the door. Just because you get someone calling you to lure you over into darkness doesn't mean you have to walk over to darkness. You've got the power of the universe, the Holy Spirit himself living inside you to say no. And when you feed the Spirit, then the flesh stays down and in control. In verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe. Do you see that? We believe that we shall also live with him. And there's three things that we will live like. First, we will live with Christ eternally. 2 Corinthians 5.8 We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We have an eternity promised to us when we we live with Christ. We also, we will live with Christ here and now temporally. Today, now, while we're on this earth, we see that in Colossians 1.27. To them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which Christ in you, the hope of glory. Acts 17.28, for in him we live and move and have our being. We have a life now in Christ. But we also, the third thing, we will live a victorious life in Christ. John 16.33 these things I have spoken to you, that in me you ha- may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Romans eight thirty seven. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yes, we're going to have eternity with him. Yes, we can have a life with God now. Yes, we can live a victorious life. With God, because A, He died for our sins. He pinned those old nature of ours to the cross and gives us the ability now to choose to live with Him. Now, here's the third indicator or outward symbol of our identification with Jesus Christ. We see this in verses 9 and 10, and that is His resurrection. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. So since we have already died to sin with Christ, death no longer has dominion over us. There's no dominion, no longer has power over you and I. A new man not only has this new life, Here, but eternal life. And in verse 10, 10, For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So this new life he's given you and I, this new life he has granted to you and I, for us to have in our new life, he gives it for us to live to God just like he gave his life to his father. He lived a life for him. He did it out of obedience. He did it out of love. And he gives us, you and I, that same ability to knowing that it's dead. It's dead once. It doesn't have to continue to die. It's been dead once. We have now can live this life that he lived himself. We're not dead to sin, free from sin. We're not given eternal life to live as we pleased on this earth. We only live a life now that pleasing to God and God alone. As we walk a simplistic application here, as we see here in verse 11 today, the the very simple application is, he, Paul says, likewise, if Christ died on the cross and lived and did this for the Heavenly Father, to please Him, then likewise you and I are also reckon ourselves to be dead into sin, but alive in God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We too are just to reckon that our old nature is dead. That we are to just live our life pleasing God daily. That is the biggest question we ask ourselves. At the end of the day, when you're putting your head on the pillow, God, did I please you? And all the things I said and did. Bring to light what wasn't pleasing to you. Help me to realize. Help me to understand. Help me to change. Transform me, Lord. Because I don't want anything of my old nature to be be brought back into my life. I don't want nothing. I don't want to touch you, nothing. But that is the decisions we make throughout the day. That 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 is recognizing your new identity. Oh, I, I was reminded this week how quickly you know, have an identity when you work for a company. You, you, someone will say to you, you, know, when you pick up the phone, thank you for calling, and you fill in the, the company that you used to work for. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. Do you ever find yourself doing that? No, you don't work for them anymore. You have a new company you work for. You have a new identity that you're answering the phone about. So stop picking up the phone. Hi, this is myself. Me, myself, and I, I want to live however I want to. and I just want to please myself, and everyone else is just going to have to get over it. No. You pick up the phone and say, God, I live for you and you alone, and I declare you as my Lord and Savior to everyone, and I just want to please you. See the difference of how you wake up or how you pick up the phone or how you answer? In your relationships, in your dealings, your work. That is what Paul is saying. It's God saying to us, likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive. You're alive to God. And it's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, it's interesting. This is a great, strong, very powerful verses in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 58. It says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Praise God that we can get up and just live for God, doing whatever his will is, and just being patient as he works that through your life, because you just want to please him. You don't want to do it in your own strength, in your own way. And our identification with Jesus Christ, he gives us victory over sin.